Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. One of the biggest stories from the recent G20 summit is the India-Middle-East-Europe Economic Corridor, or IMAC. Analysts say the massive real and post deal is presented as a counter to the Belt and Road Initiative. While skipping the East Asia summit, U.S. President Joe Biden lost no time to visit Vietnam, where the two countries upgraded their bilateral relations to a new level. What are the economic and geopolitical implications of the real and shaping corridor? How have uh, Biden's latest moves reflected his Asia strategy? Will Vietnam become a pawn of the U.S. against China? To discuss these issues and more, I'm happy to be joined by Professor Joan Gung from the University of uh, International Business and Economics. Professor Anna Rosario, Malindo Wei, Senior Research Fellow of the Global Governance Institution, and Hussein Asghari, Vice Chairman of the Belt and Road Initiative Institute, rather, in Sweden. That's our topic. I'm Xu Qianduo. Welcome to Dialogue. Uh, John, I will start with you. You know, on the sidelines of the G20 summit, uh, there's an announcement about this multinational real and shipping project linking India, the Middle Eastern countries, and Europe, you know, with the, you know, uh, probably the building of real and ports in the next years or next decades. We don't know yet. Uh, not many details are out right now. So tell us, what's your understanding of this, uh, let's say, mega project here? Well, first, let me start by saying that uh, infrastructure and connectivity are always good. Uh, you know, I wish them success, of course. Uh, you know, this is also from China's perspective. These uh, projects like this, uh, this grandiose in the infrastructure products, projects are supposed to be open and inclusive. And if it is indeed uh, realized, uh, that's great for the people being affected by this. However, having said that, let's let's do a, a reality check. However. First of all, you know, the first question I want to ask is that um, if you look at the map of this project, it involves one country that's not even a signatory a party to this deal, that is Jordan. You know, how can you make a railway connection from Israel to Saudi Arabia without involving Jordan, right? I mean, it's like saying, you know, India builds a railway to Mongolia without you know, China approving this or even without China knowing this. You know, this sounds like crazy. And I think if you look at the signatures of this mem memorandum of standing, I mean, this is from the White House press release, clearly Jordan's not involved at all. And I think it represents a little bit of arrogance and a condescending attitudes towards a sovereign country. You know, you're building a railway over a country without even, you know, they sanctify it or, or you know, or at least knowing about it, right? The second thing I want to say is that, um, you know, it, it's a big pie in the sky, in my view, uh, in, you know, in consideration of the the huge technological hurdles and huge financial risks associated with it. I mean, this railway traverses through the most difficult terrains for a railway uh, in places uh, in Saudi Arabia and UAE. People, you know, have an understanding of the railway that China actually built for Saudi Arabia, what's called the Pilgrimage Railway, connecting Riyadh and uh, Mecca, right? It's very, very difficult and it's extremely expensive. 
So, um, so I think, you know, who's going to build it? You know, I think most of the countries uh, that have signed this uh, memorandum from the standing haven't built a railway in the last 40 years. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge technological issue that I'm raising here, and as well as a financial issue. So, so in my view, you know, I think it's more like a you know, PR campaign. Uh, there might be some geopolitical, geostrategic benefits that Washington can reap from this. But other than that, I think it's a big pie in the sky. It's not going to be realized in my view the next decade. And I wish it would happen, but you know, honestly, I think it's a it's vaporware at this point. So a lot of questions surrounding this, uh, uh, let's say, potential project over there. Uh, Anna, from your point of view, uh, what do you think is the purpose for this uh, economic corridor? Um, for me, I think the IMEC is quite um, another um, initiative probably um, being orchestrated or being proposed by the United States. Basically, I would agree that it's one thing, it's, it's for to counter the Belt and Road Initiative, which is very successful at the moment. But one thing that I can see in terms of challenge and how to put this forward and how really to implement it, because it's one thing to say that, you know, we have IMEG, but it's another thing to say that we need to implement this is financial challenge. As you can see, um, the one of the strongest proponents of this would be um, Washington or the United States. So I think one of the responsibility that Washington or the United States should do is to put forward finances. But as uh, if we look at the current um, status or the current um, condition of the economy of the US, if you really look at it and examine it thoroughly, it's in recession. So I am not sure how 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 the United States being the you know strong proponent of this IMEC would push through with it and uh, in what way it would assure all of these countries that are you know quite enthusiastic to be part of IMEC will you know be more confident to be part of this and how would it attract more attention because at the end of the day you propose something at the end of the day you need finances for it so I think that's one of the biggest challenge for this IMEC to fly and I don't know how they're gonna do it mm -hmm. uh, well Hussein Askari from your point of view, like uh, why it is the U.S. that uh, you know probably most passionate about such a project? Yes, well, uh, I agree with the other guests. Uh, this is a geopolitical empty shell, like Build Back Better World and the Global Gateway. There is no substance to it because this is simply geopolitics. It has very little to do with economics, which we, I can come to. But the issue is that this, what this project is, like the other. U.S. proposed projects are exclusive. You create a club of nations who you think they, you have converging interests against someone else. The Belt and Road Initiative is all-inclusive. It includes everyone, even the United States is welcome into the Belt and Road. The other issue is that the, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is a win-win cooperation project. This and other projects are in the mind of the Biden administration is a geopolitical zero-sum game. It will never work. I will come to the reasons. The Belt and Road Initiative is a potent initiative. The others are impotent because China builds things. And all the nations mentioned in this, in this project, if you come to Europe, China has developed the Piraeus port in Greece. It's one of the greatest endeavors in the Mediterranean. It's building railways to Serbia and Hungary to connect Greece to the heart of Europe. It's Chinese companies. In Israel, China built a container terminal in the port of Haifa, which is being talked about here, and in the port of Ashtut. China built and developed these ports. So, yes, 
Mr. Uh, the billionaire from India, Adani, he bought part of that with cash, which is doubtful where it comes from in the privatization process. China is building the Emirate Rail Network. The Chinese company CRRC is participating in building the rail, although the locomotives are bought from the United States, from a subsidiary of Caterpillar, which is good. It's good for everyone. Saudi Arabia is negotiating with China to build the Saudi land bridge, which will connect the Gulf region of Saudi Arabia to the west coast of Saudi Arabia, and so on and so forth. So to assume that in the Biden administration, this is, I mean, these are people who have their, don't have their feet in reality. They are in the, in the clouds. China and the Belt and Road have their feet in reality. As, you, as the professor said, you know, this is a pie in the sky, but it's not. It is a real project, but China is building it in partnership with the Emirates, with Saudi Arabia and others. India, unfortunately, is being pulled into a different sphere away from China. This is the only purpose of this whole undertaking. There is no substance behind it. There is no financing. If the United States was serious, they should build their own railway and port and infrastructure network, which is collapsing. Mm -hmm. In Europe, we have a similar problem with financing and building infrastructure. So how come we could build these things in other parts of the world. China is building that in cooperation with these nations. Saudi Arabia and the Emirates are very happy with that cooperation, but they're open for European and American investments too. So there are a big difference between reality and what people in the Biden administration and the EU fantasize about. Well, Professor Sakari, you know, the, uh, you mentioned about the BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, is open to basically every country as long as they are happy to be part of that. What about this uh, new proposed economic corridor? Uh, is there any possibility? Let's assume they will go into, in fact, sometime in the future. Uh, is it possible for Chinese participation, for Chinese companies, for example, to bait for certain product there? Yeah, for China, yes, of course. As I mentioned, China is actively working with all these nations, with the Europeans, with Israel, with Saudi Arabia, with the Emirates. I mean, even in, Ch in India, there are big Chinese investments. So there are great opportunities for China, but this is in the framework of the Belt and Road. It cannot be part of this geopolitical game. Mm -hmm. Exclusive clubs, military alliances, and nations are realizing more and more now that the way, the method embedded in the Belt and Road Initiative, in the BRICS group of nations. I mean, I understand President Xi Jinping just comes out of a wonderful BRICS plus summit where a, a new garden, so to speak, is being planted by many nations, a colorful garden. Why should he go to an overcrowded apartment where drunk people are quarreling? You know, this is the difference. We have two systems here walking in different directions. Mm -hmm. And the one which is closest to reality and to achieving positive results on the ground yes. with, is yes. the Belt and Road Initiative because it's giving results. There are concrete projects, things mm -hmm. are being built, development is being brought, technology is being transferred, investments are made by China without much talk. Mm -hmm. You know, China well, right. can... I Anna, put let, its money where its mouth is. Right. Let me turn to Anna. Uh, but professor, you know, if you look at the uh, track record, which is not that sound, let's say, you know, global gateway announced by the European Union, or the blue dot network by the U.S. Department, uh, you know, U.S. Department, and also the U.S., uh, I think the G7, uh, you know, announced this uh, B3W, like a build back better world. So after the announcement, uh, there's a little, you know, little taking place. What went wrong? 
I think um, there are a lot of proposed, um, some kind of grand project that the United States and the Western Alliance are trying to speak about. And sometimes when they have meeting like G7, G20, they come up with these things. But the problem with them is the follow through and also the planning. It's not really well conceptualized, well planned. And also the financing is not ready. Unlike the Belt and Road Initiative that you can see from the time that it was conceptualized in 2013, be, even before the implementation, there's a well um, thought plan and there's a the funding is there and you know the commitment coming from China is solid. So that's why it attracts a lot of participants and imagine 50 countries and more than 100 plus organizations are part of the BRI and until now it's one of the biggest projects thus far in the world that is successful and it's really contributing to the poverty elevation of countries that are part of it and also the connectivity between different continents and it, it produces fruits and it's not only about um, hard infrastructure it's also about soft infrastructure so you know the difference is the concrete planning the commitment is there for Belt and Road Initiative but for this IMEC or some kind of built back better of the United States it's always like a buzzword but it's like an air it's like a balloon that is you know that when you poke a little and it just explodes and it's all air so i think that's the lesson that many countries in the global south are learning when you talk about the united states proposing something there's that kind of ambivalence and also in most cases these are geopolitical um plan um like or scheme and they always um kind of isolate um or isolate china or other countries like russia it's not as inclusive so that's why the belt and road is a game changer for the global south or the developing economies precisely because of the fact that it is inclusive everyone is welcome as long as you agree with the principles that is being you know espoused um in the belt and road initiative so that's why it is, it is successful and many countries are actually joining it and you know supporting it and, and you know the cooperation women cooperation is there so i think that's the big difference you know between this IMEC, a build back better of the US and other proposed and nothing happened to it. It's like air. It's mm -hmm. there, but it, it doesn't have anything. Right. John, of course, you know, for the US, you know, uh, if we remember, you know, the US uh, relationship with China, they have a competitive one. They say they are competing with China, you know, they are confronting China because China is rising. The US is concerned about being replaced as a, you know, the, the economic or military or in terms of technology. So there is a concern in Washington. So they are trying to do something to slow down the Chinese economic development or the Chinese growth there but then this is also presented as uh, something countering the Chinese uh, you know about and road initiative what about other countries other participating countries like Saudi Arabia like UAE they are not competing with China they are working closely with China right I think um, this is a very grandiose plan as I said and I'm very skeptical about it um, you know how really this is going to be good or not but however having said that I don't want to mention um, an existing plan in Israel actually people have been talking about because I've been you know staying in Israel for some time and I'm quite familiar with the situation there. You know, there's a plan that has been floating around for quite some time to build a railway to connect the southern port in Israel called Ashdod to the um, to the uh, the port facing the Red Sea called Elat to build a railway. The purpose of that is essentially to bypass the Suez Canal. Suez Canal is actually a pretty expensive waterway. You know, the Egyptian government generates something like eight billion dollars a year. So this is regarded as a as a competition, a competitive solution to the Suez Canal route. 
I think in all likelihood, that's probably more realistic than the grandiose plan of building a railway all the way through Jordan and to uh, Saudi Arabia and to UAE. I mean, if you look at the, the port in UAE, distance between UAE and Elat in Israel, it's not that far actually. So there's no way, there's no reason to build a railway to get around all these places. So, so I think that's probably a more realistic um, uh, solution. I think that railway does benefit a lot of countries that has trade between the Europe and Asia and maybe the United States as well. But you know, you know my sense is that uh, doing something even in Israel, let alone talking about involving Jordan and Saudi Arabia, is still very difficult. I mean, this plan in Israel has been floating around for many, many years. It's not going anywhere. So uh, we have to see what's going to happen. There are other countries, of course, in the region not happy with this project. For example, Turkey. Turkey has expressed a different idea. They say mm -hmm. there's a different road connecting Iraq, Turkey, and to European countries. Uh, mm -hmm. And they say, you know, there should, any project should not escape right. <laughs> the Turkey. Turkey is a big player here. Yeah, well, Turkey is always regarded as sort of an outlier country in the European Union. I mean, not in the European Union, but in Europe in general. So I think, you know, a project like this has a lot of uh, geopolitical, geostrategic consideration to it, and that's for sure. From that perspective, I think uh, a project going through Turkey you know, I don't think uh, you know the European players, Americas, would be really uh, comfortable with such mm. a solution. The financial and the technological, and also the the involving sovereignty issues, it's it's a nightmare to sort out these things. I'm just giving you one example. You're going through Jordan. Jordan has a very good relationship with Egypt. What's going to Egypt going to do, right? It, uh, you know, it, it has some influence over Jordan, over Amman. I think it's going to do something, right? Egypt certainly doesn't want this to be happening. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll speak of the hurdles, uh, <laughs> and um, we know that the U.S. Uh, presidential elections are upcoming uh, in November. And uh, is there any possibility, you know, people would ask uh, for the U.S. to invest overseas in infrastructure and construction while doing very little about their domestic infrastructure I mean, status, which is not that excellent, let's say, to say the least. How likely is it you know, for the Biden government to invest in such a project while doing very little domestically? I think um, that is a huge problem that the current administration of Biden is facing. And there's a lot of complaint in the United States right now that, you know, um, most of the resources of the current U.S. government is being you know, extended to other things, like, for example, financing the war in Ukraine, rather than improving their infrastructure, their railway system. I think that's one of the criticism that many Americans are putting forward. If you, if you really listen and you study the American politics at the moment, I think that will affect when you talk about the election in the coming 2024, uh, around November. And and I, I don't know, well, it depends if Biden will still be the president after the election in 2024, or there will be a change of government. Because from what I know, um, Trump has a different perspective when you talk about um, more in, I think Trump is more um, focusing on um, internal dynamics or or domestic matters of, of America, you know, of the United States. It's not really like willing to finance other things abroad. So if they have this IMEC and if Trump wins, I think this will also suffer in terms of financing because I don't think Trump would want to finance more um, other countries or a project like this that he thinks that the country will not benefit more in terms of revenue. But I think if Biden, uh, well, the, 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 the problem at the end of the day with 
project like I make is more still at the end is financial consideration because I don't think the United States can afford financing a huge project like I make right now, given the, the economic conditions that they have, given the recession that they're experiencing. And one more thing, they're still financing the Ukraine crisis and they're releasing a lot of money and even American people are not happy about this. Mm -hmm. Well, Professor Hussein Askari, you know, also at the G20 summit, uh, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden made the proposal to expand the lending capacity of uh, financial institutions like World Bank, again, you know, to counter the so-called influence of the Chinese, uh, Chinese influence uh, through BRI. What do you make of it? And uh, I mean, of course, uh, is there any likelihood that uh, those financial institutions will undergo substantial reforms, for example, giving more say to rising powers like China, like India, or like Brazil or South Africa, for example? No, I don't think so. This is part of a, a new operation which was launched by the U.S. Uh, Treasury Department last year. I call it Death Trap 2. 2 it's, it's not the same as the O. They say China should contribute more to relieving the debt of poor and middle income nations. China should abstain from giving new loans to infrastructure projects. And those countries should not take new loans from China for building important infrastructure projects which will improve their economy. So this is the new game. They want to empower the World Bank and the IMF, who never contributed to economic development of Africa in the last 60 years. Where are the big projects that World Bank have produced in Africa? Nothing. There's a lot of money spread all over the place, but has no effect. It's mostly political money. So this is not really going to happen. The issue which I, I want to warn people is that the question is not about trade. The Belt and Road Initiative is not a trade initiative. It's about economic development. And when President Xi Jinping talks about the economic belt of the new Silk Road, which is a land-based corridor, is about bringing development to landlocked nations and utilizing the human and natural resources of these nations to develop them and create the atmosphere where you can have better trade, better economic relations among nations. This is the core of the issue. It's not about trade. The Suez Canal will forever remain the main, the most viable trade route. It's not about trade. If you want to have trade between Europe and India, the Suez Canal is perfect. You don't need to load and offload on railway. It will become very expensive. The best rail-based corridor between Europe and Asia is the China-EU Rail Express, which transits through Russia and Belarus. And despite the war and sanctions, these were not the railways of Russia and Belarus were not sanctions because this railway is the most efficient and fastest rail connection for trade between Europe and China. So when the speed increases on these corridors, then you will have alternative. But the real issue is economic development. Now, the United States, they have all these fantasies. I mean, President Biden talked about building the uh, Trans-African Railway from Angola to Tanzania on the Indian Ocean. Well, China has built that one. I don't know if President Biden has people who know about geography or economic development. China did develop the Angola, Zambia, Tanzania Railway a few years ago. Sorry, you know, you are misinformed. Your, your, your knowledge about, but the real story is economic development. And I think, and the reason we started the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden is that because we think it's beneficial for Sweden and for Europe to participate with China in building development projects all over the planet. We have technological capabilities here, which are useful for the Belt and Road. We have the construction companies who are very good, but we are, we don't have the financing. We have enormous problems here at home. Mm -hmm. The Belt and Road, joining the Belt and Road, is going to save us even here and even in the United States. 
So as they say, you know, if you cannot beat them, join them. This should be the slogan for the world. Instead of creating these uh, empty shell projects, you know, why did they change the name Build Back Better World 3, Build Back Better World, to the Global Infrastructure uh, Partnership? Because Build Back Better America failed. President Biden's own Build Back Better America failed in the Congress, did not get enough support in Congress to build in the United States. So how come the Congress will support financing projects outside America? That's so a, this that's, is all, you know, hot point. air. That's a good point. Uh, well, lastly, we have, of course, uh, another stop made by President Biden in Asia. That's Vietnam. So, Anna, of course, the two countries upgraded their relationship to a comprehensive strategic partnership. Uh, so probably for U.S., many people are looking at uh, Vietnam to use this country to, you know, to balance or counter China uh, in this region. But for Vietnam, probably they see it differently. They want to benefit from relationship with both China and uh, the United States. Uh, what do you make of it? Thank you. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting development at the moment, especially in Southeast Asia. And as you know, I'm from the Philippines, so it's I'm part of well, I am an ASEAN member. No, I think the decision of Vietnam to upgrade its bilateral relation with the United States to a comprehensive strategic partnership amid the great power rival rivalry is a well measured move on the part of Vietnam. But this time, it's they are putting premium on economic considerations such as economic cooperation agreements with Vietnam and the U.S. companies, more particularly on semiconductor, tech, aviation, chip making, and artificial intelligence. So it means more business and more partnership between Vietnamese firms and U.S. firms. But I think on the part of Vietnam, when you talk about foreign policy, I think Vietnam is consistent. I don't see the country... I don't see Vietnam, um, you know, being with the United States or with it with the Western Alliance, joining the the the, the bandwagon or the orchestrated um, some kind of blocks um, containing China or countering China. I don't see it that way. I think Vietnamese foreign policy will be consistent; that it will pursue an independent foreign policy, prioritizing more its national interests and well calibrated balancing act between Beijing and Washington or between Beijing and the United, United States. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the United States, as far as it is concerned, I think for them, the way I see it, the way I analyze it is that the comprehensive strategic partnership with Vietnam is a calculated move to counterbalance China or to counter China or to contain China. I think U.S. sees Vietnam as a crucial in its strategy to contain Beijing um, in the context of what you call Indo-Pacific strategy of the United States. I think the expanded partnership reflects the broader efforts of the United States across Asia to counter China's influence, especially when you talk about trade, when you talk about economics, when you talk about politics and even geopolitics for that for that matter. I think this is much more um, the, the 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 what you call the the intention I see on the part of the United States. But on the part of Vietnam, I don't see it that way. I think Vietnam is more focused on economics and how they can benefit um, from this kind of upgrade mm -hmm. in, in, in right. relationship. The, but the, I think U.S. is a little bit more geopolitics in that sense, though there is an economic component because they're trying to look for some kind of access also to rare earth minerals for, for, for their production. Right. Because right. they're kind of afraid that probably in a matter of time, China will be very self-sufficient when you talk about semiconductor issue. Because right now, when you talk about trade and you talk about issue on trade, 
um, I think the, the 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 United States is imposing or have this kind of trade war imposing mm -hmm. many restrictions on China. Well, when you're talking we about have to stop there. And with that, we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app or on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. <laughs>